to another episode of Neither the Time Nor the Space. My name is David, and as ever, I am joined by the iconoclastic Matt. Oh, thank you. Nice to see you. Yes, indeed. Um, so it's been a little while for us, actually, hasn't yeah. it? Um, Week or so. Yeah, but um, I'm looking forward to this one. I mean, as I say this every week, right? I'm looking forward to it, but also I am dreading it. And I think I just need to accept that this is going to be how every single... Because whether I love the episode or whether I hate the episode, I just never know right. how you're going to feel about it. And that terrifies right. me. So, going back to my rating system. Uh-huh. Good episode, bad episode. Good episode with bad bits. Yeah. Bad episode with good bits. No emotional reaction. And episode I like, but I don't really know why. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say... Because we're doing the two-parter today, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, Empty, the empty Child. Child and The Doctor Dances. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good episode with bad bits. Okay. Specifically, I think this is two-thirds good, one-third bad. And I think the third that is bad is the final third. Okay, right. I, I think this builds up to something and the payoff is not so great. Hmm, okay, that's interesting. Um... We'll we'll um we'll get to that part eventually then. Um, yeah, so I think got it's... ahead of myself there. Yeah, the game away. Yeah, no, no, no. That's fine. It's interesting. It's kind of good to know going in. Like mm. it, it, this at least when we have this conversation uh, up early on, it kind of puts me out of my misery a little bit. Yeah. it prepares me a little more for what's ahead, uh, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, I don't know whether that makes for good podcasting or not, but it, it certainly... Yeah, everyone just switches off now. <laughs> yeah. they, they know the outcome. Yeah, but it, at least it puts me at ease, which is, you know, helpful. Um, so, The Empty Child Doctor Dances uh, by Stephen Moffat. Our yep. first taste of Stephen Moffat. Um, a name that you're familiar with, maybe? Yeah, yeah. pretty prominent in British comedy. He is, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. He started out as a comedy writer, most famous for writing Coupling, um, which is sometimes referred to as, you know, the British Friends. I think there's more to it than that. But, you know, that's the shorthand. Um, went on to create Sherlock with Mark Gatiss. Right. And without, you know, might as well give the game away now, he does go on to become the showrunner for Doctor yeah, Who after I, I Russell found T. That Davis. Because when I... Um... When I researched the episode, yeah, and his name came forth, I had a little look into it. Yes, yeah. Basically, he has had an enormous impact on Doctor Who in mm. the modern era. Um, I think he has, depending on if you count classic episodes as you know an individual serial is one story. I think at this point he has written more television sto- Doctor Who stories than any other writer um so his grubby mitts are all over it is he he still working on the current series or um he has stepped away from it i think i think after you do the showrunner job and you're effectively your head writer your producer you're writing your own scripts you're also editing everyone else's scripts you're making production decisions it is a very very full-on job Mm. and after doing that i think it's it makes sense to maybe have a rest and bow out and let someone else like shape their vision of the show but yeah so he was one of the writers that Russell T Davis early on knew that he wanted to get on board for this series now I can't remember whether he had written I don't think he'd written much he was a known TV writer mm-hmm. he was also known within the Doctor Who fan community like he and 
a lot of other writers and, and people would, would kind of meet up in the pub and stuff and just talk about Doctor Who with right. like an in, informal sort of group of them. And he was definitely part of that set, as I think was basically everyone else who was writing on this initial series. And I think perhaps the only actual Doctor Who related thing he'd written prior to this was a parody called The Curse of Fatal Death. Which right. was created in the 90s for comic relief. Is that the Ron Atkinson one? Yes. Right. I have never seen it. Right. And I've actually penciled it in much <laughs> later in our schedule because I think it will be interesting for me. I'm kind of, I've wanted to watch it for a long time, but I've never gotten around to it. And when we started do, doing this, I thought, you know what? It'd be nice to have something that I can go in cold. From <laughs> sort of cross-referencing the Doctor Who research I've done. Yeah. As well as what I like to watch in my own time. Mm-hmm. That is pretty much the top suggested video on my YouTube. Right. So yeah. So it's up there. Yeah. So we'll, we'll hang in there. We'll, we will get to it eventually, but um, uh, I, I've got it penciled in for way down the line. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, so he's an interesting figure in the history of Doctor Who. So I, I'm, I'm excited that you're finally getting to get at least a taste of what his approach to Doctor Who mm-hmm. is. And it's encouraging that at least he liked, you know, a good proportion of it. Right. So, yeah, without any further ado, shall we just get stuck into the episodes? Yeah. So we're going There's back to the to get 21st through. of May, 2005. Right, okay. Okay. What were you up to then? Can you remember? I was watching Doctor Who. I honestly don't know. I'd have been <laughs> at university. So. Yeah. Presumably. Drinking. Yeah. Not studying. No, no. just drinking. <laughs> okay. So, the TARDIS is following something through time. Yes. A little bit of Bill and Ted. Yeah. the time we, streams. We, uh, we, have, we are starting this episode, I believe the term is in media res. Yeah. So basically, almost as though we're jumping into a story that is already happening and has been happening for some time. And we're facing immediate mauve danger. Yes. <laughs> and already... We're like three seconds into this episode. You can tell Stephen Moffat is a comedy writer. Yeah. Because this this script, despite having... It has a reputation for being one of the scariest episodes of right. the first series. It's also definitely one of the funniest. Yeah. Um, so he's... I would say about Stephen Moffat as a writer, I don't think he has ever thought of a joke that he has not written down. Right. I, I think he is incapable of walking past a joke. Whether it's good or bad, it will go in the script. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so so we have Mauve Danger because Mauve is the what intergalactic re- recognized color for for danger. For danger, yeah. So w- we land in London, and something is watching the Doctor and Rose. Yeah. Now we know it's not evil, no, because it doesn't have a red filter. No, that's it. true. That's true. That's the sort of symbol something's evil. So but we far. do. But we do have some creepy music courtesy of Murray Gold. It's right. definitely meant to be unsettling. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. the Doctor says rather than use technology to find whatever it is, he's just going to go ask. Yeah, which so, is, you know, consistent. It's the common with his, sense with his strategy. Of. So whilst... But, but Rose is disappointed by that. She wants, you know, she's like, you know, let's scan for alien tech. Let's, yeah. let's get all, you know, high tech. But the Doctor, I mean, we know he's not high tech. A couple of episodes he was bashing the TARDIS console with a mallet. Yeah. <laughs> so whilst they're going to go ask whether yeah. anyone's seen this thing that falls from the sky. Yeah. We hear a child's voice. Yeah. It says, Mummy. Yeah. And it's terrifying. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know quite what it is, but children are scary. They are, especially when used effectively, and I would say this episode makes maximum use yeah. of the, the inherent creepiness of children. Especially, it's stood on a rooftop in a gas mask. Yes. So, obviously the gas mask, it, it's showing no emotion, mm-hmm. it's just there shouting mummy. And we don't know yet when we have landed, do we? No. I don't, I don't think they've mentioned at, at this yet point, the, the At this point, we're yeah. just in London. Yeah. Sort of. we, well, they have established that, I think... Um, the doctor does say that it's definitely a, they've landed about a month after this object has landed yes. because it was skipping time tracks, yeah. um, which is a reference to the Space Museum, a, a uh, nineteen sixty, would it have been sixty four, sixty five, maybe William Hartnell story, right? Um, not a particularly well regarded <laughs> one, but one that actually I will personally defend. Uh, the general the general consensus is first episode good and the rest three are shit. I enjoyed the entirety of the Space Museum, uh, but um, rest assured, I'm not going to make you watch it. Good. <laughs> right. So the the story sort of splits at this point. So mm-hmm. we'll run through sort of two separate tracks for a little while. Yes. Okay. Not time tracks though, just regular tracks. No, 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 yeah. no. So Rose goes to check on this child. Yeah. Make sure it's okay. Goes up to the roof where the yep. child is. Yeah. And in passing, she hangs onto an air raid blimp. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she doesn't realise that initially. She's just like, She's oh, this is a handy rope. rope. I'll climb this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Putting her, her bronze gymnastics Absolutely. Into, I, into play. I'm going to come back to that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there eventually. Yeah. So essentially, she's just hanging from a blimp, watching the blitz happen. Yeah. That's the first indication of what time yes. we're in. Yeah. And that's sort of her story arc for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Whilst the Doctor is going to go chase down whatever it is that's landed in London. Yeah. So he enters a club. Yeah, he can he can hear sort of music coming through, uh, and just like and and people, and he's just like brilliant people. That's what I need. Yeah, gotta go and ask some people. And when he enters, we immediately can again fathom this is wartime. Uh, I don't know. That we certainly the past. We, cert- we certainly can can place it because of the clothes, because of the the, the type of music, the setting. You can tell this is. Early twentieth century. Right. We are we are somewhere in the region of nineteen twenties through to maybe the late nineteen forties, early nineteen fifties. Well, so we potentially it, it makes it absolutely clear when it is because yes. the doctor asks, "Has anybody seen anything fall from the sky?" Yeah, everyone bursts into laughter. Yeah, and then when he turns, there's a huge air raid poster on the wall. Yeah. And at that point, we hear the air raid sirens as well. Yes. And it starts to evacuate. And poor Doctor stood there, you know, and the penny drops for him. And he realises he's made a bit of a tit of himself. Yeah. (laughs) So he heads back to the TARDIS and there's a phone ringing. Mm -hmm. Has the TARDIS always had a phone? Um, It's not been featured. I'm trying to think. I mean, certainly it doesn't normally ring. Like, yeah, it's not I, I, I and that's intended to be kind of jarring. I couldn't work out whether yeah. it was just an aesthetic, it mm. has a phone because it's a police box, yeah. or whether it has a phone because it's a spaceship. I think the thing is, um, I'm, I'm trying to think, of what I have seen of the classic series, I can't immediately bring to mind a moment where the exterior phone 
rings. Rings or is used for any purpose. Having said that, that doesn't necessarily rule out the fact that it has at some point, especially if you took into account extended universe stuff as well. Um, and the exterior of the TARDIS, um, it's worth noting, it does change a bit. Right. Um, and, like, it's been, it's not until much later on that there's ever an, a sort of in-universe acknowledgement of that. Right. But definitely, over the years, as different TARDIS props have been made, its external dimensions have changed a bit. Its external features, like the the, the, the plaque on the front, um, sometimes it's white text on black, sometimes it's black text on white, sometimes there's a St. John's Ambulance sticker on the door, right. sometimes there isn't. So it's Sometimes like, it has Bad Wolf sprayed exactly. on the side of it. So basically, the TARDIS... It seems almost as though every so often or not, it will revamp itself a little bit for whatever reason. Who who are we to judge the TARDIS's decisions? So when the phone <laughs> rings, there's a girl that says, don't answer it. It's not for you. Yeah. Okay. Now, that's the character of Nancy. We find out later in the episode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Played by a girl called Florence Hoth. Yeah, so I did a little bit of digging because actually I thought she was quite good in this episode. Yeah, so did I. And yeah. it, it turns out she's actually been in a far superior sci-fi series. Has she? Do you recognise her from anywhere? I don't think I do. No, I, right. I, I if I I only recognise her from this. Right. Well, she yeah. actually starred in the mid to late nineties CBBC television show The Demon Headmaster. Oh, did she? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't think she was a main character, but she's definitely a she presence. was definitely yeah. there. And the Demon Headmaster, it was it was excellent. It was, yeah. I mean, I we to be fair, we are both of the generation that grew up. You know, we were the right age. We were in the right place at yeah. the right time when the Demon Headmaster yeah. tried to take over Britain. Absolutely. Whether or not it holds up, I wouldn't like to say. It is kind of. Um, it's one of those things where I'm just like, I might give that a go at some point. Yeah. Just have a look and see. I mean, it will definitely be the most 90s thing. I, I think the imaginable. The best example I can give of that, of don't go back, Yeah. is growing up, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was, a, again, a British sci-fi series called mm-hmm. The Last Train. I don't remember that it, one. It no. was basically nuclear apocalypse, I think, was right. happening. At the exact time everything went wrong, there was a train going through a tunnel uh-huh. and someone released some liquid nitrogen that froze the people in the train. Okay. And they arose in post Okay, and they're like the only survivors. Yeah, yeah. it, it right. doesn't hold up well. Nah, I imagine not. I was having a look the other day at Aquila. Do you remember Aquila? Well, I, I was going to mention Aquila. <laughs> Were you? I, yeah. <laughs> when I, I've... I've made some notes about Aquila. Oh, we'll come back to Aquila we'll, then. We'll talk Aquila <laughs> in a bit. Okay. So, this girl, Nancy, says, don't answer it. It's not for you. Yeah. And then she disappears. And the voice again just says, mummy, are you my mummy? Mm-hmm. We then go to what I've described as a horrible, horrible Cockney family. Oh, yeah. They're not pleasant people, are they? No. And they're going into their air raid shelter. And this girl, Nancy, sneaks into their house to rob them. Yes. So at first we're kind of like thinking, ah, oh, Nancy, she's, you know, out for herself. Yeah. Um, which, you know, already you're kind of like, well, if there's a war on, hmm. times are hard. I'm not necessarily going to judge them. And we have already established that these are not good people. No. You know, you've got um, basically 
just they they all just seem to be immediately berating one another <laughs> over basically yeah. nothing. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> seem to be a happy family dynamic. No, no, not at all. Okay, but whilst that's going on, we cut back to Rose, who's yeah. still hanging from a rope. Yeah, who knows how long she's been how, there? How didn't she get gold in that gymnastics? I don't know. It's impressive. I certainly couldn't do that. But this is the first time we meet the character Jack. Yes, okay. Captain Jack Harkness. Should we take two seconds to talk about him? Because mm. what what I noticed when I watched this yeah. is I couldn't help but compare him to the character of Adam. Right. As the sort of secondary accomplice. Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, the character of Adam was portrayed as being, you know... In the first instance, yeah. quite a likable, normal person. Yeah, and a, I a, hated him. Yeah, he was he was intended to be a sort of quietly charming, affable, you know, Where, intelligent young man, well, and none of that came across. Whereas Jack, yeah, is portrayed as being a bit of a tool, a bit of a lads lad. Yeah, but I actually really liked yeah. him. Borderline uh, sex pest. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is definitely pre Harvey Weinstein, isn't it? Yeah, because um, the opening shot is him with his futuristic binoculars uh-huh. staring at Rose's ass. Yes, and his first words, his first one of it's not a spoiler to say Captain Jack, a a character who will go on to have a a fair amount of significance in the wider mm-hmm. Doctor Who universe, the Who universe, if you will. By the look on your face, you won't. Well, um, <laughs> I, I, I was going to ask you yeah. the same question I asked about Adam. Yeah, is Captain Jack? well regarded within the Doctor Who community. Is he fondly looked upon by fans? Is he hated? Generally speaking, yes, I would say. Yes, people he's are fondly. He's pretty fondly um, regarded. Um, not necessarily without criticisms. Um, and I think your mileage may vary a great deal depending on how much of a Torchwood fan you are. Right. Because he obviously has uh, a big impact in Torchwood. Yeah. Um, Am I right in thinking he's the main Essentially, character? Essentially, he is the main character, yeah. To, to go back to our original point, yeah. Well, the, the first words of this really significant character in the in the history of Doctor Who is excellent bottom. Just as, That is his, his assessment of Rose's posterior mm. after giving it a thorough... A, th- a thorough eyeballing, shall we say? Yeah. Was it? Uh, do you watch? Do you watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I don't. Uh, I've watched the first few. Yeah. I was. Go- I was going to drop a reference there. Ocular pat down. Right. <laughs> means nothing. I'll cut this bit out. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um. So we cut back to Nancy. Yes. Okay. She appears to be robbing the house, burgling. Yeah. Uh-huh. But then she summons the orphan horde. Mm-hmm. The house she robs has a massive roast dinner. Right. She's serving it up. Yeah. And I, I wondered whether, and I might be reading too much into this, uh-huh. whether the choice to call that character Nancy is based on Nancy from Oliver Twist, that sort of mother figure to the orphans. I would be surprised if it wasn't a conscious reference. Right. Because, um, I mean, the, the, the parallels are super obvious. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, yeah, immediately... And I think even if you if you're not super familiar with Oliver Twist, you can immediately recognise that trope, can't you? Yeah. Of like, and any hint of um, disapproval you may have had for for Nancy, you know, going in and stealing from these horrible people, it immediately melts away when you see what yeah. she's actually doing. It's a Robin Hood type, exactly. Yeah, theft. yeah. Okay. Now, following this, Rose finally slips from the rope. 
Yes. Going going back to episode two, mm-hmm. the end of the world. Yes. Where part of the episode is in real time. Yeah. In real time, would you like to t- take a guess how long Rose was hanging from that rope? I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Because there's so much cutting back and forth. Yep. But let's assume yeah. the episode is in parallel with one another. Okay. Um, in, t- in episode terms, I guess it must have been about 20 minutes. No. No? Not quite. Not quite. She, yeah. she takes hold of the rope yeah. at 5 minutes 32. Okay. And falls from the rope at 11 minutes 52. Gosh, so uh, six not... minutes, 20 seconds. That's hanging. still impressive. Yeah. yeah. How did she only get bronze in gymnastics? <laughs> <laughs> She's absolutely superhuman. Yeah. But she falls from the rope at this point. She gets a nasty rope burn on her hand. Yeah. And she's caught by Jack. Yes. Who appears to have like a knockoff TARDIS type spaceship. He's certainly got some kind of uh, fancy alien ship. And he, he and he captures her in this sort of like um, holding beam yes. kind of thing. Not brilliant CGI, but it works for TV, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Rose faints. Yeah. When... yeah. So we cut back to the orphan horde. Who are being chased by something. Yes. Yeah. And the Doctor has dinner with them. Yeah. No, I really like this. I like I, the way I it's like, revealed. I like the yeah. way he's he appears. Yes, because basically them. Nancy's she's carved she's carved up the the is it chicken? I think. Yeah. I'm vegetarian, so all meat just looks like yeah. meat to me. Um but yeah, and so she's passing around the plate, so it says to the kids, one slice each, and they're all you know, taking their slice, putting it on their plate and, and saying, Thanks, miss, and then yeah. all of a sudden we just see the, a close-up of the Doctor's hands taking the plate, taking a slice, and we hear his voice, thanks, miss, and then it cuts to, um, you know, a shot of the Doctor, and all of a sudden, yeah. Doctor's come for dinner. And I just think that's a nifty bit of editing. I think it's nicely done. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, we find out that the ghost boy, I, 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 in my notes before... Mm-hmm. Any revelation, I've just referred to him as the ghost boy. I mean, ghost. Yeah, the, I mean, the episode's called The Empty Child, but, yeah. you know... <laughs> and Nancy says no, it's works. not exactly a child. Yes, yeah, because um, she'd already because in the previous scene where the phone had rung and you know Nancy like she'd obviously she knew more than she was letting on, yeah. and that was enough to kind of intrigue the doctor and and you know hence him following up with her. So they evacuate the orphans from the house yeah. once they realise this ghost child's coming. Yeah, and. Nancy tells the Doctor, if he touches you, you become like him. He's empty. Yeah. An empty child, if you will. I will. Okay. And the empty child makes the phone ring and the gramophone play. Yes. Yeah. And against all advice and logic (laughs) and sense, the Doctor opens the door to let him in, but he's disappeared. Spooky. Yeah, definitely. Uh, And so, yeah, this is another running sort of... It seems one of the powers of of this... empty child is the, the ability to kind of interact with technology mm-hmm. in the surrounding area and so you know it turns the radio on st- and then you start hearing that creepy voice again are you my mummy coming through the radio and you know all, all of that kind of stuff it's just this is as you become more familiar with Stephen Moffat's writing that is what he has certain tricks in his toolbox mm-hmm. that he will quite happily reuse and and find different ways to to play with and sort of disembodied voices are definitely one of one of the tools in his toolbox (laughs) so and it's an effective tool as well mm. i think it is properly creepy yeah i think when uh, in the beginning when i said there were 
that this was a good episode. Mm. I think certainly the first of these two joint episodes sets up the empty child as a real terrifying, menacing force. Yeah, yeah. But from there, we cut back to Jack and Rose. Yes. We're introduced to Captain Jack Harkness of 133 Squadron. He's an RAF American volunteer. Also, also we're led to believe. That's certainly his story at this stage. Okay. He even produces documentation to prove as much. Mm-hmm. But it's simply psychic paper. Yeah. Good old psychic paper. Okay. So, Rose basically calls bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Because she's familiar with it. And also, um, we start to learn the limitations of psychic paper as a tool. Yeah. Um, because um, when she uh, takes it, um, it says something along the lines of letting her know that he is single and he works out. Yeah. <laughs> Which, and Jack sort of shrugs and says, oh, can't let your mind wander when you're handing it over. But because yeah. she's able to acknowledge that it is psychic paper, yeah. Captain Jack asks whether she's a time agent. Yes. I don't think they've been mentioned so I don't far. think they have either, no. 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 Are they likely to reoccur or are they going to be like the Reapers that you know we just don't mention them anymore? Um, they are definitely, I'm, okay, so, again, caveat, I don't know whether there are any references to time agents in the classic series. If they are, then they take place sort of post-Tom Baker, and that's the that's yeah. the area that at present I'm a bit hazier on. And I think it's fair to say, we're not going to, don't expect a time agency-focused episode anytime soon. Right. But, at the very least, from this episode onwards, we have established that it's a thing. Right. So, okay. yeah. So, his ship uses nanogenes yes. to mend Rose's rope burn. Yeah. And then they're going to go for a drink. Why not? And it's at this point, I've written in my notes, his spaceship is like a quiller. Yes, because it is. He you can know, make it right, go it invisible. Yeah. You know, he can tether it to certain places. And it's just a little nipping about sort of thing. It's yeah. not a big, fancy spaceship, but, yeah. but it's but it's got a lot of gizmos and doodads. Yeah. Should we just pause and just acknowledge that Aquila was fucking brilliant? It was, wasn't it? It was one yeah. of the better but less acknowledged BBC series. Absolutely. I and I and uh it's one that I really do want to actually sit down and rewatch at least a couple of episodes of it. Am point. I right in thinking there's a Roman archaeological dig? Yes. In which two children basically find a spaceship. Yes, yeah. And, and they find sort of the remains of a Roman centurion, I think. That's right. Like inside or near and, the spaceship yeah. um, and with hilarious consequences yes i remember there's one episode where because it can turn invisible uh-huh. they park it in the same place mm-hmm. basically cloak it i think they park it close to but up a tree so they can access it sure but no one will randomly just bump into it yeah which is smart they're resourceful children there's one episode i think where i can't remember exactly how but they leave the accelerator on mm. and it floats forward in a perfectly straight line <laughs> so the whole episode is these guys running in a perfectly straight line <laughs> jumping to hit Aquila and I think I'm right in thinking the series ends with them using it to go to the moon to collect rocks possibly I mean it's been so long ago since I saw uh, it I think um, one of the characters collects rocks from each of their adventures when they go right, around right, the world yeah. at the very end I think he either produces a rock from the moon uh-huh. or stares at the moon yeah. for his next adventure. Yeah. But it's a, it's a charming little series. It's just for kids of a certain age and a certain generation, 
it's just pure wish fulfillment, yeah. isn't it? Just like, what if you just bimbling around in the in the moors and you happen upon a spaceship? A spaceship. I have a real fondness for Aquila, but I don't yeah. think I could ever go back to it. It probably wouldn't hold up, would it? No. But, you know, I'm pro- I, it is on my list, along with Demon Headmaster. I'm, sooner yeah. or later, I'm going to have a little peek and mm. have my illusions shattered. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, yeah. The, so the next Jack- bit I was a little bit confused by because yeah. the last time we saw them, they were in this horrible Cockney family's house. Yeah. But now, all of a sudden, Nancy and the Doctor are just on a railway. And it doesn't seem to be an urban inner city London railway. Right. They just appear to be in the middle of nowhere on the railway. I mean, you see, it was a few days ago when I watched this episode. Now I'm trying to think. She's how... she's like stashing yeah. the goods she's stolen from oh, this right. house. Yeah, yeah. And we find out that the, the doctor explains what he's essentially looking for. Yes. And Nancy tells him there was a bomb that wasn't a bomb, currently guarded by soldiers. Yeah. And you need to go speak to the doctor. Yeah. Ooh, so, Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. I thought it could be some Doctor on Doctor action, but... Yeah, sadly we'll, not. We'll get to there. Yeah. Okay, so Captain Jack. We're sort of intersecting between these two plot strands. We are. Captain Jack has something he's going to t- sell to the time agency. Yes. He tries flirting with Rose. Mm-hmm. And they have a little dance to Glenn Miller. On top of their invisible spaceship. Now, unfortunately, in my notes... First time round, I got slightly confused and said they're dancing to Glenn Campbell rather than Glenn Miller. <laughs> you know, so oh, it'd be different. Yeah, um, exactly. But yeah, so and and it, again, it's a lovely shot. Um, you know, you've got Big Ben in the you know, in the background, and Jack's just, reasoning for that just that yeah. common acknowledgement that we are in London. Oh yeah, so we'll just yeah, show you all of London consistently. Why not? But to be to be honest, I liked the um, Jack's reasoning for it, which is that if you park in an invisible spaceship, better park it yeah. near something you can recognise. So, <laughs> and he explains what he's going to sell the time agency is a Chula warship. Yeah, are the Chula pretty sure invented for the purpose of this episode? Oh, okay. Um, something you're going to have to get used to with Doctor Who is that writers will just invent whole civilizations on the fly for the purposes of a bit of backstory. Right. Or, or whatever it and is. And he says in two hours a German bomb is going to land on it, so he wants to yeah. sell it before it's destroyed. Yeah, so I mean, we are pretty firmly established at this point. Jack is, um, not only is he not of this world, he is a time traveller. Yeah. Um, so he obviously I, th- I think has... he says he was a time agent, but yeah. now he's That's a, true, a yes. freelance sort of criminal. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't know for a fact that he's a criminal, but he's certainly a bit of a grifter yeah. at this point. You know, yeah. we can kind of see that. But, you know, we have no reason to doubt the fact that, that it is a Tudor warship and that a bomb is, in, is about to, you know, mm-hmm. drop on it. So... The Doctor... And Nancy appear at the bomb slash warship. Yes. Okay, yeah. we find out that that is the bomb that is not a bomb, is this warship. Yeah. That's what the Doctor and Rose were chasing. Yeah. It's landed in central London. Yeah. Okay. And now there's sort of armed guards around it. That's right, it's, it's fenced yeah. off yeah. and it's near to a hospital. And Nancy yeah. explains to the Doctor that the bomb slash warship is how she lost her brother. Mm-hmm. They're followed by the empty child, and the doctor breaks into the hospital. Yeah, and again, I think I quite like this visual in terms of horror. Yeah, there's people in two lines of beds with gas masks on. 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. They're just sort of all uniformly laid down, staring straight up. Mm-hmm. And then we meet the Doctor. Dr. Constantine. Played, played by? Richard Wilson. Yeah. Okay. Now, I just want to take a second to talk about Richard Wilson. Because he's obviously best known as playing Victor Meldrew. Yes. In One Foot in the Grave. Yeah. I don't believe it. You know, angry yeah. old man. Yeah. A p- pretty iconic BBC comedy series. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say everything I've seen him in, other than One Foot in the Grave, mm-hmm. he's been brilliant in. He is consistently yeah. a good egg. Yeah, he is just a cracking character actor. And I think yeah. someone, like, I don't think he really had, until One Foot in the Grave, I don't think he had much TV work or anything. So the uh, the British popula- populace has only ever really gotten to know Richard Wilson as an old man. and But he is a cracking actor. Because yeah. I, th- I think what comes next in this episode mm. could have been quite silly. Yeah. But and he clearly has bought into this role and yes, he goes yeah. the whole hog. And it. It, it's really, it's not, it's not much of a part. It's just exposition. Yeah. He basically gets one scene in which to dump a huge <laughs> chunk of exposition, but you don't notice because it's Richard Wilson <laughs> yeah. and he is selling it a hundred percent. So basically he is this old doctor. He's clearly like, you know, on his last legs. He's doing, he's got walking with a cane. He's coughing and spluttering. Mm. And he plonks himself down in a chair. And I love the immediate, almost subconscious recognition that he's, you know, he speaks to the doctor and he's like, this is obviously a man of learning of some mm. description. And there's just like an immediate immediate respect between the two of them as two people who obviously just want to know the truth. And so there's no hint of suspicion. You know, he's he the, the doctor is patient, confidentiality be damned. I'm going to tell you everything I know. So, should we should we just run through what he does now? Yes. Don't touch their flesh. Yeah. They've all suffered the same injury. Yes. Okay. And he physical de- injury. He describes the physical injuries as a plague. Yes. Rather than a set of symptoms and an onset yeah. illness, the plague is this reoccurring injury. Yeah, and it's like and it's pretty horrible stuff. In addition to like the, the note, what we see is scar on the back of the hand and the gas mask. Yeah. But in addition to that, there's like, uh, I think it's like caved in chest cavity. Mm. And, um, so we find out that, stuff. that the bomb killed one person. Yes. Anyone who touched him suffered the same injuries. Yeah. Okay. And this first victim is on the top floor in room 802. Yeah. And it's at this point we're told it's Nancy's brother. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I think it's a bit earlier in the episode. Doesn't the doctor have that moment with Nancy where he, where he just says to her, "Who did you lose?" Yes. Like he can tell yeah. that she has lost someone close to her, and yeah, Nancy discloses that she lost her brother. Yeah. And so yeah, you you're kind of piecing it together at this point. Oh, the that, first victim of the that's bomb right. must it, have been it's Nancy's when, brother. It's when they first come yeah. to the bomb and warship. Yeah. That Nancy discloses that. Yeah. Okay. And then at this point, the doctor says. Are you my mummy? Mm-hmm. Dies, and we have the do- uh, Doctor Constantine. We should Doctor Constantine. So, <laughs> yeah, just to be clear, and we have some pretty strong CGI, and this yeah. is the bit I was surprised Richard Wilson went. Yeah, because again, it could have been such a silly revelation, and yeah. you know, I think we've bashed the CGI in the series. It is to inconsistent to say the least, and by today's standards, this probably isn't great. But by two thousand and five. This is a really, really strong yeah. visual of and what's happening. It, it 
put the fucking willies up me. Yeah. I can tell you, watching that back in 2005, as, you know, technically a grown man, more or less, yeah, it is horrifying, because basically what you see is um, Richard Wilson's face slowly morph into a gas mask. So he he yeah. opens his mouth, and yeah. a large filter sort of it's spews out. Like, yeah, just out. pushes through his, his mouth. his eyes become huge and bulbous yeah. as um, they become the lenses of the gas mask. Yeah, it's... It's really impressive, like, and I'm glad they they had the budget and the the presence of mind to do it because I don't, I honestly don't know if you take that one effect shot out of this two parter, would it be almost as highly regarded as this? Because it's not as you you, you need that yeah, shot because you do. If, it's if it really was just the doctor going, oh no, they've all changed, and, and got then you cast back faces, and he's and he's got the gas mask, and you don't yeah. see that transition, it doesn't sell the horror of it. Plus, it builds in this idea that the gas mask is fused and yeah. part of the body. Yeah. It's yeah. up until this point. I mean, it, they do say it earlier, I think, when yeah. they're looking at the patient. Yeah. But up until that, it's just simply people wearing gas masks. Yes, yeah. So this is... It's, it is an iconic shot as yeah. a result. Like it, um, It's the best I've seen so far, I would say. Yeah, and uh, I th- I'm pretty sure it's a screenshot of partway through that transition is used as the um, illustrative screenshot on the Wikipedia page for this right. particular episode. It's its that iconic. Yeah. It is the moment. So, um, following this yeah. transition, Jack and Rose turn up. Yes. And they make a little joke when he... The Doctor talks about Dr. Constantine. Yeah. I think Rose says, Doctor Who? Yeah. Uh, Great banter. Yeah. I hope you enjoy those. You're going to get a fair few more <laughs> over the course yeah. of the show. Yeah. Now, Nancy goes back to the house she's been burgling. Yeah. Why is she always drawn to this same house? Oh, just just cuz I mean a couple of reasons. One it seems um it's easy pickings like the the, yeah. the guy's got plenty to to steal and also I think Nancy is aware that he is just a wrongun and, and if she's going to steal from anyone might as well steal from a wrongun. So and yeah. We find out the empty child's there. He can telepathically shut doors. Yeah. And he does so. I think she's hidden under the table. Yeah. Whilst he's in the room. Yeah. And back with Jack, Rose and the Doctor, we find out actually that the warship was an ambulance. Uh Uh-huh. And human DNA is being rewritten. We don't get the link between those two things. We're just setting that up for later. Yeah. And the episode ends with the patients in a zombie-like state approaching the Doctor, Rose and Jack. Yeah. Obviously building up to a big cliffhanger. Yes. So, that's where the episode ends. It is. Okay. Now, for the first time, I didn't watch the preview of the next episode. Oh, well done. Because I was going to watch it immediately after. Yeah, and, you know, you don't need to be sold on it. Exactly. Yeah. So, I knew what was coming, so I didn't bother to watch. Cool. So, we are now in the second episode of this two-parter, The Doctor Dances. Yeah. Now, did you... Because obviously you knew the title going into it. It's a strange title, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, and it, we get an explanation for it in the episode, but uh, what did you think anything of it going in? Like, well, what that could mean? Not really. But yeah. it seemed inconsistent with the tone of the first episode. Exactly, yeah. Which I, I like. That's why I like it as a title, because it's... I think it's kind of intriguing. 
to think like, what the Doctor dances? What's dancing got to do with any of this? Mm. So we have this epic cliffhanger we at the end of the first part. With just, you know, our sort of gas mask zombie creatures all crowding around in uh, two different settings as well, isn't it? Because you've got mm. the, the ones in the hospital and the ones in the house. Yeah. All chanting, are you my mummy? But and it is terrifying. M- much like when we had the World War Three Aliens of London episode. Uh-huh. The cliffhanger is incredibly poor. <laughs> In the way it's resolved. Yeah. So yeah. the doctor basically tells them to go to their room. <laughs> now, okay, you might think that's poor. I think it's fucking genius. I love it. See, I, I thought that resolution <laughs> of the problem was poor, but I liked what came next. What, the doctor's line? Yeah. yeah. He just simply says, I'm glad that worked. Those would have been terrible last words. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's what works. Right. I love that it's basically resolved with... I don't know, because it does two things. One, it's a good joke. Hmm. Uh, but two, it it actually tells us something valuable about um, these creatures. Hmm. Because it does work, it tells us that there is a psychological component to this as well. It's not just the physical injuries. Uh, hmm. That they all uh, basically have this same childlike yeah. mentality. And that's actually pretty key. With how everything resolved. I thought it was nice that that linked to the episode Father's Day. Yeah. Where he simply gives the impression he's in control. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because that could have just gone terribly wrong. Yeah. The fact it went right is what makes him look heroic. Yes. But actually, he's yeah. <laughs> have... chance that. Exactly. It's a punt. It is an absolute punt. And if, he, if it hadn't worked, then his only other option would have been running away. Yeah. <laughs> Which is often the Doctor's only option. Shall we split into two narrative strands yeah, again not? for this next little bit? Yeah. So we'll run through Nancy's story okay. for a little bit. Yeah. She's in this family's home crying and the brother walks away. Yeah. So she then sees another child in a gas mask yeah. and thinks it's her brother yeah. revealed as being called Jamie. Yeah. But it's actually the horrible Cockney family coming home after the all clear yes. from the air raid. Yeah. So, it was at this point I sort of asked, why does she keep coming back to the same house? Yeah, yeah. Now, this next bit, I, I'm going to need some clarification. Okay, I'll, I'll do my best. So, Nancy is basically cornered by the father of the family. Yeah. Who's questioning why she's burgling yeah. his house. Yeah. And she escapes by telling Mr. Lloyd, basically, she's noticed that there's a lot of meat. Yeah. Obviously, this is the time yeah. of rationing. Yeah, more than anyone should be able to afford yeah yeah and people must think his wife is messing about with the butcher yeah but it turns out she's not he is yeah is that yeah, yeah that's ho- what you think it is yeah that's he's... a homosexual relationship yeah yeah uh, in a time when homosexuality is illegal okay like is that necessary plot <laughs> device um i think I like it as a moment because I think it's an in, it's an interesting resolution. First of all, you don't see it coming, mm. and I think it. I mean, for one, it's it's an interesting little historical nugget that, of mm. course, that that would be sufficient to to jeopardize an entire man's life, effectively, and and you know that's sufficient uh, leverage for her to kind of get away with it. And also, I think it's it's nicely played by both of the actors. So I don't know. It just it, it works for me. I think. Because I, I watched it once, yeah. and I sort of thought, is what I think going on yeah. happening here? Yeah. And then yeah. I watched it again, and I just thought, it is. Yeah. It... Well, it's just, um, 
because it's a nice it's a nice inversion like you think maybe you might think oh he's just a you know straight up criminal or something like that but no i like that it's actually that there is more to it than that mm. that it's it's and it's just a little reminder that yeah homosexuality was illegal back then but that doesn't mean to say it wasn't happening and that it therefore had very different connotations to how it might now and actually you think more broadly sexuality is kind of a theme of this second episode yeah. well, and you know we'll touch on that more later but yeah I don't know it works for me I can, I can so, see how it's, it's, de- it's jarring but I think it's yeah. intentionally jarring so. so once she's escaped Nancy reunites with the orphan horde yeah and explains that the ghost is after her specifically not after them yeah it's coming for her yeah and I quite liked this bit because one of the children is typing a letter yeah and then all of a sudden she says, well, hang on a second. He sat over there. Yeah. So who's, who's typing? typing? And yes. the typewriter is still, still going. going. And it's typing out, are you my mummy? Are you are my, my mummy? Yeah. And again, it's in some ways it's, um, again, it's that's typical Stephen Moffat, you know, pull back and reveal kind of creepiness. Because I think it's a special kind of skill to write horror that can be broadcast at a Saturday tea time. Mm. You know what I mean? That's, that's a tricky thing to pull off. And something that is actually going to creep out children, potentially creep out adults as well. I mean, because I don't know, yeah, it creeps out me. I still think up until this point, the episode's quite scary. Yeah. Nancy basically makes the decision she's going to go to the bomb site again. Yeah, she's and- she's blackmailed the the, uh, the father guy, what's his name, Mr. Lloyd, I think it is. Possibly. Yeah, um, she blackmails him into handing over some wire cutters. Yes. Still not established why the man has wire cutters, <laughs> but you know. Yeah. Hmm. But that that's sort of the end of her separate yeah. So we'll just go back to the Doctor, Jack and Rose. Yeah. So Jack is outlining his con. It, yeah. It's at this point he acknowledges he's a bit of a con man. Yes, yeah. And basically his back's against the wall, so there's no point trying to... Like, the con has gone terribly wrong, so, yeah. he, you know, they're all they're in survival mode now. Is his con better or worse than Lady Cassandra's from episode 2? <laughs> It's easier to understand. Yeah. Um, I would say it, there's a scenario which it could have worked if they were actually time agents. Mm. You know, that might have been helpful. I do kind of think, who was he going to sell it to if not time agents? Because yeah. no actual time agents ever appear. So it's not like they were guaranteed yeah. to ever, to, he was ever going to get a buyer. Maybe he was going to put an ad out and then they turned up anyway. So we didn't need to put the ad out, basically. But I don't know. Uh, but that's That's a minor nitpick. Other than that, yeah, you know, pass off one thing as another thing. You've got a ticking clock in terms of, you know, the bomb will hmm. destroy it in a couple of hours. So that puts pressure on them to fork over the cash before doing a thorough inspection. Yeah, it's a solid con. So the Doctor, Rose and Jack go to uh, investigate room 802. Yes. And we see Jack has this fancy gun. Yes. Squareness gun, as yeah. Rose calls it. Yeah. It can basically shoot... Perfectly square holes. In yeah. Place. It's a fun, fun, fun little effect, I and think. That. The Jack talks about how it's one of the last ones. The factory was yeah. destroyed. Yes, the weapon forges of Villengard. There we go. Yeah. And we actually find out it's the Doctor that destroyed them. Yeah. Is that a link to a previous adventure? I don't or? think so. No, okay. It's, again, it's just a bit of colour. Right. Yeah. So we find out that within the room... There's something powerful, something yeah. angry. Yeah. The recordings keep saying, Mummy, are you yeah. my mummy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's like a reel to reel tape recorder. That's right. Yeah. 
Because um, the window smashed, it seems like it's escaped. Yeah, because okay. the real, if memory serves, the recorder, it's like you, you, they start playing it, and it's like, isn't it, Doctor Constantine? Like he's interviewing the child, yeah. he's trying to Making get recordings of his yeah. observations. Yeah, but then because earlier in the episode, the Doctor had sent it to its room. Yes, it reappears in its room. Yes, and the the way we find this out is that the recording. Similarly to the typewriter moment, you hear the recording, are you my mummy, are my mummy, and then you start to hear the click, click, click of the tape has run out, and so it's just spooling and, and sort of hitting the, the recorder, but then you still hear the voice, are you my mummy, and it takes them a moment to realise, the tape's ended, how are we still hearing the voice? Yeah. They turn around, oh my god, there's the empty child. Okay, so they close it in to the room yeah but it can punch straight through yeah so there's zombie I've, I've put the zombies but it's the patients from the lower floor I mean yeah it, it's essentially at the, this point this it has gone full zombie film really this episode so they're approaching from one side yeah the empty child from the other they're caught between the two yeah when you think there's no way out Rose uses Jack's square, square hole gun yeah on the floor yeah which I thought was quite yeah an ingenious way. Definitely. Yeah, it's Rose showing her resourcefulness and quick thinking there. So they hide in a room and all of a sudden Jack disappears. Yeah. He's okay. just like, all right, he, I'm, he's I'm out. no longer there. Yeah. Turns out he'd used an emergency teleport back to uh-huh. his ship. Again, a little bit like the Lady Cassandra episode mm-hmm. that he seems to be. Yeah, like. and the way he does this is he, he calls through on like the old wireless uh, with something he calls Omcom. Which yes. I think is like, you know, sort of omni-communication is probably what that's short for. So basically it just allows them to tap into any sort of nearby uh, device. Yeah. What does that remind you of? In terms of things we've already encountered in this episode. It's the exact same uh, thing as the empty child does. Yes, yeah. Cause so that's, that's I, interesting, that, isn't it? That's my next note, that yeah. the Doctor can hack any speaker. Yeah. Uh, he, sorry, yeah. the Doctor the, the deduces yeah. that... Ghost can hack any speaker. Yes. Because it does so to say it's coming to find you. Yeah. And then we have a bit of a sort of moment with um, Rose and the Doctor here, don't we? Yeah. So Jack hijacks the speakers to play Glenn mm-hmm. Miller. Uh-huh. I, I assumed that would attract the patients, but it doesn't. No, they seem and, and Rose says Jack is just like the Doctor, except he dances. Yeah. That's the difference between them, yeah. the two. The Doctor takes offence. Yeah. And just as they're about to dance, Jack teleports them out. Yeah. Um, to his ship. And we, and there is one of my favourite moments in that scene is where, um, at first, the Doctor doesn't really want to be having this kind of conversation. He's trying to deflect it. And he's he's got his sonic screwdriver out, sort of trying to fiddle around with the concrete wall they're in. And so Rose is sort of kind of needling him gently a little bit. And he sort of just turns to and says, Rose, I'm trying to resonate concrete here. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that line. I think Eccleston plays it beautifully. And it's yeah. just, like, it's obviously, he's just... He just doesn't want that conversation. Exactly. He'd rather yeah. look at concrete. Yeah. And this is the point at which I think, effectively, we are establishing dancing as a metaphor in this episode. Yeah. Um, a metaphor for fucking. Yes. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's, just, so, it's just all about fucking, isn't yeah. it? This, 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 this second episode, it really is. It's all about fucking. Um, so we, we cut back to Nancy. Yeah. She's caught breaking into the bomb site. She's locked in a room with a bloke who has 
the girl still lives, mm-hmm. and he begins to transform. Yeah. So we cut back to the Doctor, Rose and Jack, who yeah. are themselves trying to break in. Yeah. Rose says, I'll distract the guard. Mm-hmm. Jack says, oh, I can tell you, you're not his type. Exactly. Just, why all the gay jokes? It's not really a gay joke, is it? It's just establishing the fact that, that Jack is, um, at the very least, bisexual. Which, I mean, in fact, no, we've already established he's bisexual because right back in that, in that first scene, um, after checking out Rose's, um, and, 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 you know, assessing that Rose has an excellent bottom, um, he says to the, the soldier guy that he's with, don't worry, you've got an excellent bottom as well. Mm. So, you know, right there and then, we've, you know, we've already established this is, it's just Jack being Jack, basically. Because yeah. they have a little conversation here about fucking aliens. Yeah, as they well. do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's yeah, it's one of the thing, things we've seen in this episode. It's just like you know, and it, and it kind of relates back to what something we've been discussing in other episodes, like way back into the end of the world and stuff like yeah. that. Just in the future, humans go out, explore, meet other species, do what humans are going to do. Fuck <laughs> those other species. We, we find Jacks from the fifty-first century. Yeah, so not so quite as far as the end of the world. No, but he he but, has his sort of fifty-first century morals, um, yeah. and you know. His sort of pansexuality is just, you know, it's not, no big deal. The Doctor rescues Nancy yeah. from the guy that's transformed into one of the empty children mm-hmm. and activates the ambulance, which signals all the other patients. Yeah. So they begin to close in on the location. Yeah. And Rose, as we've seen in other episodes where she's met with the sort of secondary characters... She has a nice chat with Nancy to tell her about the end of World War Two. Yeah. You know, that this doesn't... I think Nancy acknowledges that Rose is speaking English rather yeah. than German. Yes, yeah. And there's a nice moment there. Yeah, definitely. feel-good moment yeah. in the episode. Yeah. Now, we find out that the ambulance ship, it contains these nanogenes that Jack's ship contained mm-hmm. to fix Rose's hands. Yeah. The nanogenes have escaped... They found yeah. a dead child in the gas mask. Yeah. That would be Jamie. Yeah. That's his brother. Yeah. This is the doctor kind of piecing all of these things together, basically. And because yeah. they'd never seen a human before. Yeah. Obviously, their job is to reconstruct injuries and what yeah. have you. Yeah. They did the best they could, so they're reconstructing all injuries in that image yes. of a child in yeah. a gas mask. Yeah. So that explains why the patients are developing. Yes. Disappearance. Exactly. Okay. It, you know, if you've got if you've got so much as a tiny cut on you or something, those nanogenes are just going to be like, oh, right, you need fixing, and that's what you're going to end up like. So potentially, the human race is going to be rebuilt in the image of a scared child. Yes, but also a Chulu warrior. Um, in terms of mentality, well, it, uh, and and kind of some of the abilities that they have and stuff. Yeah. I think is essentially it, it kind yeah. of it's. In some ways upgrading and in some ways downgrading. The Doctor realises they're all saying mummy and yeah. heading towards Nancy. Yeah. I'd written there, is she Ghost's mum? We find yeah. out almost immediately she is. Yes. So Jamie was not her brother. She was, was... a teenage mother yes. in a time where teenage mothers were not looked upon yeah. favourably. I mean, to be fair, they're not looked on particularly favourably uh, yeah. nowadays either. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, but back then it was pretty common practice to to just claim to be a big sister because so, they have a little hug the mm-hmm. nanogenes go wild yeah and jamie is returned to okay jamie yeah as 
Obviously, no. So. Yeah, and presumably this is the point at which you you sort of check out of this episode a little bit, a little yeah. bit. You know, mm. you I, see the thing is, uh, and this I think will kind of uh, highlight the distinction between us potentially. Mm. This makes me cry every time. Really, every I, fucking time. I just thought, could we have, you know, had a clearer. The Empty Child is built up as such a menacing force. Yeah. And it's essentially cured by love. Yeah. Mummy's love. Mummy's love. Yeah. No. And it's and basically, because the thing is, it that, that embrace between the two, that gives the nanogenes an opportunity to kind of scan the mother, yeah. make the link in terms of, because they have shared DNA, mm-hmm. and correct the problem. Yeah. And the thing that sells it, as much as the sort of, you know, power of love moment, which I guess, yeah, maybe a bit cheesy. But the thing that really sells this scene for me is Eccleston's performance. That his absolute delight well, in. I wanted to mention yeah. that because. Yeah. I've put he's absolutely desperate to save this child. Yeah. You know, we've known from episode one, yeah. death is his constant companion. Yes. And it's not a uh, thing he's happy about. Yeah. And I think we'll probably talk about it when we yeah. get towards the end. But. Yeah. There's a really, really nice moment that yeah. I want to talk about cool. when we get there. Yeah. So, Jack, at this point, teleports away before mm-hmm. the bomb lands. And again, we're sort of led to believe it's almost an act of cowardice. Yes. But actually, yeah. he's on his spaceship. He's going yeah. to stop the bomb from landing. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. He he catches it in that sort of tractor, tractor beam. beam. Yeah, he rides it like Doctor Strange. Exactly. I've I've actually written in my notes. Uh, I I call it the reverse Doctor Strange love. Yeah, <laughs> because he, he instead of riding it down, he rides it up into his ship. Okay, I, I couldn't read all of it. Uh huh. But the bomb has the word wolf written on it. Uh huh. So I can make an assumption what is written before that. You reckon? Yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, I'm I'm lost. So, what would be your guess here? I'd, I'd probably say bad wolf. Bad that wolf seems to be. That's, a... Where's that coming from? Uh, just plucking it out of thin <laughs> Okay, okay. And the doctor uses the nanogenes to save everyone. Right. And this, for all I thought, the revelation about the empty child was bad. Mm-hmm. This was probably the best moment in the, the both episodes. I think. Yeah. I, okay. I, I'm going to say this is. Most for most Doctor Who fans, if you ask them to rank like Eccleston's top moments, mm. I don't think you'd find anyone putting this less than top three. Mm. It's uh, his performance, the writing, yeah. everything about it, the music. It just it explodes with this. With you, you sense his utter delight as he yeah. says, "Just this once, everybody, everybody lives. lives." Yeah. And um, the fact that it's in such stark contrast to every episode we've seen up until this point, where, where there has where been... Where everyone dies, yeah. effectively. And, and there's been a lot of death. Yeah. And, and I, I think one moment, it, he gets to reverse it all. It matches nicely with the World War Two setting, which yeah. we all know was a real horrific yes. time. Yeah, yeah. And it, You've got it, all this grimness, all, you know. And he just wants that one yeah. moment. Yeah. He, he needs it for yeah. all the issues so far yeah he just needs that one tick in the win column yeah so everybody lives all the injuries are cured yeah including an old lady growing a leg back <laughs> i love that moment and yeah. I, I, I love richard wilson's line there it's like there is a war ron do you think you may have miscounted <laughs> yeah i think that's a great joke and the doctor blows up the ambulance yeah oh. now 
Jack keeps the bomb in stasis, but only for a limited time. So he yeah. flies he's... as far away as possible yes. to yeah. prevent any casualties. And he's kind of pretty much resigned to his fate. He yeah. gets the computer. I, I like of, this. Yeah. This scene. Again, you know, he. I think he has a glass of champagne. He puts Glenn Miller on. Yeah. He knows his time. He, rem- he reminisces about um, the time that he was. He had a death sentence and ended up in bed with both his executioners. Yeah. He says, <laughs> he says they're a lovely couple. Yeah. So, again, that's another reference to this mm-hmm. sexuality theme yes. throughout. Yeah, definitely. Okay, and just as he's come to terms with his fate, mm-hmm. the Doctor and Rose use the TARDIS to rescue him. And that in itself is a nice inversion of the earlier moment in that episode where they've been, where Rose and Doctor, you know, they're about to dance and then they get teleported and they don't even realise they've been teleported. Yeah. And in this moment, Jack's so wrapped up in what he's doing, he doesn't realise that the TARDIS has materialised on the ship yeah. and that he's gotten out. So they're dancing on the TARDIS. Yep. Yeah. To In the Mood by Glenn Miller. Yeah. And that's a nice little sign-off for the episode. Yes. The Doctor dances. Yeah, the Doctor does dance. So it's mm-hmm. quite... Uh, I like... I think, upon reflection, having discussed it, I maybe liked the ending more than I thought. Yeah. Certainly that, the happy ending yes. is better than the plot reveal. Yeah, okay. I, I would say um, the, 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 the episode definitely plays on the fact that it should come as a revelation... That Jamie is Nancy's son, not her yeah. brother. And if you if you're a couple of steps ahead of the episode, then you'll just be like, uh, yeah, so yeah. what? And I think that's and maybe it, what happened. It, it's with you. a bit hamfisted the way they constantly reference the nano genes yeah. as well. But to be fair, because obviously they reference it in the first episode, and then they have to reference it again in the second episode. Because bear in mind, this is pre-binging, there would have been a week in between these two episodes, yeah. they have to re-establish it because it is such a crucial element to the resolution of the story I think it's satisfying because it, it does feel like you've got that last piece of the jigsaw puzzle and then, oh, you've got the completed image. Yeah. Doctor Who does not always give you that level of satisfaction in terms of plot resolution so I kind of appreciate it when it does yeah. and it definitely does on this occasion even if you could make the argument that it's uncharacteristically, I don't know, Hollywood-esque. It's, it's very much neat little bow, everyone's happy. Yeah. And it's it's definitely, it's, it's, there's not a self-satisfaction with it, but they, they, like, they, they, they linger on that aspect of it. It's quite, for an ending, it's, it's like the ending We're not used to these out. positive yeah. endings. Yeah. So, yeah, I, like I say, I think on reflection... I liked it more than I thought. Ah, well, I'm pleased to hear okay. it. So, of course, the episode always ends with the trailer for the next episode. Uh-huh. Okay. This trailer contains the Slitheen. <laughs> I thought you were I bet you thought you were rid of them. Mickey and Ricky. Uh-huh. A rift in Cardiff. Uh-huh. So the next episode is essentially season one greatest hits. It is. It's kind of it's 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 uh bringing back all of the old favourites. Yeah. <laughs> So, I don't know how I felt about going into the next episode. Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't necessarily promise a great deal. Because yeah, a lot of the things featured in this trailer are the things I've not really enjoyed so far this season. Yeah, and I guess you'll just have to um, tune in, dear listener, for the next episode to find out what, uh, what Matt made of it. Yeah. So, until then, thanks very much for listening. Cheerio.
Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. Feel free to get in contact with us. Our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com. Alternatively, over Twitter, we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who.